there and welcome to the 2020 edition of the UAE Tech Podcast, a series of discussions on how technology is reshaping governance and economics in the United Arab Emirates. From our offices in Media City, Dubai, I'm John Lillywhite with Abu Abba Business. If you look at the recent government restructuring in UAE, that was massive. Uh, appointing CEOs for the first time ever in a government is nothing short of being innovative, right? This is really injecting the DNA of the private sector within the public sector and then coming up with a new hybrid that the world has not really witnessed before. And UE has embraced that in terms of moving forward with steady steps, but with more importantly, with a vision towards certain goals and objectives that can only be achieved by the consistency of the government and the path forward, along with nimbleness of what the government is doing, in addition to the mindset of the private sector. Algorithms watching algorithms, a 21st century version of the Latin dictum quius custodiat ipsos custodis, or who watches the watchman, this time written in code. New business services engineered and launched within days rather than months. The idea that COVID-19 is forcing an adaptive response in which efficiency and speed are critical, and that empathy, particularly during challenging times, can be designed into a process. In the UAE, complex scenario in which government acts as a gravitational center for innovation, pushing a culture of progressive iteration and a demand for new services out into the rest of society. Today we're talking with Hamad Tamimi, Vice President at Booz Allen Hamilton, and what he describes as the paradigm shift taking place across GCC economies, governments, and organizations. With a decade of consulting experience in the region, Hamid concisely describes several of the key patterns and trends at the center of the UAE Tech Podcast. The big rethink is here, but predicting the next chapter isn't always easy. This morning we're talking with Hamid Tamimi from Booz Allen Hamilton. Hamid, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, John. Pleasure to be here. So could you just quickly introduce yourself and, and give our listeners uh, an idea of your role at Booz Allen Hamilton and what Booz Allen Hamilton does in the UAE, within the region and international? Yeah, absolutely, John. So um, I started my life uh, on the uh, software side. So I was a software engineer in my early days. And then I've transitioned over time to towards roles that kind of gravitated naturally towards consulting. And over the course of uh, 25 years of work, uh, I really found myself uh, in consulting. Um, I joined the firm uh, as Buzanan uh, 10 years ago, back in 2010 and 11. And from there on, I was part of the technology team. And then uh, these days, I am the partner who oversees our uh, digital efforts uh, across uh, the MENA region. Um, 
we focus a lot on that front on a number of things that are of significance in today's world and we will be talking about them a bit today during the interview including um, customer experience services um, artificial intelligence and other stuff as well that will come to play uh, you know um, in the bigger context of things right um, Buzan as a firm uh, as a consulting firm um, you know we we stand for a lot of uh, heritage in terms of consulting and over a century of uh, successful engagements and more importantly providing sincere advice to clients across the globe i wouldn't exaggerate to say that some of our clients have been with us for more than 60 or 70 years which is a very strong testament to seeing that how this relationship really matures uh, over time uh, i think the 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 main success uh, of this uh, reputed for, firm is, you know, it lies into the fact that we've embraced the essence of consulting. And frankly speaking, this is what attracted me to Buzanan years before when I, uh, I walked in through our door the first time. Uh, it is really the consulting heritage and the culture that we have, uh, but equally important as well, you know, the ability to be able to provide a sincere and objective advice. Um, I think, John, to your question, and we bring it back into the context of the region, uh, we've been helping many organizations in the region here across multiple sectors uh, uh, with uh, a lot of uh, requirements, needs, challenges, and even aspirations as they proceed ahead. Um, I believe, and as you would know, that the Middle East, uh, GCC in particular, is a very vibrant uh, region. Um, it's very fast-paced, um, very visionary, and at the same time, it's very nimble. So things happen uh, on a very fast pace, and at the same time, that cause as well for uh, an increased need to maintain focus, and the overall vision, and at the same time, clarity, especially when you'll be um, taking on this kind of fast, but also forward-leaning transformation journey. Uh, I think also one of the things that is very important, not only because, uh, you know, we, uh, uh, this is the way that our DNA is being structured in Buzana, but I think it's also important for uh, to, to kind of, you know, look at leading consultants or even folks and entities uh, and organizations that have really, you know, uh, burned their own trail in that regard. And it is the fact of uh, the ability to combine a multifaceted consulting toolkit. Uh, in today's day or day and age, more than before, there is a, a huge need to shift quickly in one discussion, not only in multiple discussions, in one discussion from a typical strategy mindset into a design mindset into kind of a technologist mindset where it goes into even designing and even uh, charting the way ahead for implementing many things together. 
few organizations can uh, bring in that kind of multifaceted uh, DNA together. And it's not something that you can create on the fly. It is something that you have really to believe in and live through the experience and mature through that experience. Um, and I think this is what we enjoy a lot uh, as consultants doing these days. And this is, I think, the value that we bring in also as well to clients uh, across the globe and in the Middle East in specific. Um, we've been involved in uh, center of government or whole of government initiatives. We've been involved into entity-specific uh, transformations. And even, you know, when you step back and you look at the big picture being involved between both of them, you can also be one of the few that can identify the possibilities and as such, even the drive discussion at a higher level of maturity with stakeholders, clients who are actually today as well, and I did not talk a lot about that point, who are actually today as well looking for consultants who come in with good, if not strong, contextual understanding and awareness of the reality, but more importantly, an understanding of tomorrow's vision. Uh, and the Middle East is a great place. GCC, in specific, is also a great place to really present, sharpen, uh, challenge ourselves as consultants, but uh, be really part of this journey for the way ahead. Mm, well, thank you for that introduction, and thank you for focusing on the Middle East. Um, and I, it's, it's true, I perhaps didn't appreciate the, the idea that things do move at a pace that is slightly different, different in the GCC in particular. Um, we're in an economy that is rapidly globalizing, that is rapidly diversifying, um, that is digitally transitioning. Um, and I think as you alluded to, that produces all sorts of opportunities and challenges for consultants that are perhaps in some ways specific to the region, but also have case studies that are hopefully relevant um, to the rest of the world. Um, and one quick question on that. So what is the, the, the history of, of Booz Allen um, in the Middle East? Uh, you know, I know there's, there's an office in the UAE, but how long have your consultants or, or, or the company been working in this part of the world? Uh, that's a great question, John. So in MENA in specific, we've been here for over 60 years now and uh, you know we've been covering north africa the middle east and uh, even uh, gcc today we have multiple offices in gcc and out of gcc with talent spread across the region um, some of them are locally based some of them uh, travel across the region as needed as needed and of course, you know, we are part of the overall international brand of Buzanan and the network of Buzanan. So we do contribute as well to other parts of the world beyond MENA. And equally speaking, teams positioned in other parts beyond MENA contribute to MENA as the need, as the need may be. Okay, that makes sense. Well, we're really excited in particular to have you on the UAE Tech Podcast because of course, the, the work you guys are doing covers so many different aspects of the economy. And as you said, it's, it's multifaceted. So you're working 
um, with different areas of government, with different areas of the private sector on very different problems. Um, and we, we have a quotation about Booz Allen uh, in terms of its founding. It was founded on the notion that we could help government agencies and companies succeed by bringing them expert, candid advice and outside perspective on their business. And I also know, Hamid, that you've talked a little bit previously about human-centric technology. So the idea of producing solutions, um, be it in, in education or in technology, that actually also have a benefit for, for human beings on the ground. So, you know, with that introduction in mind, what is it really that makes Booz Allen a little bit unique in terms of uh, the, the subject sectors that it focuses on um, and the expertise that it can bring to a problem? Yeah, that's a great segue into the discussion, uh, John. So uh, let me start by a topic that is close to my heart. And I've alluded to that prior to the podcast and in our, in our initial discussion. And that's really the service industry. So if we talk about the service industry, it's really an industry that spans across even the private and the public sector, both, right? And why I wanted to start with this point, because this point is really so important in not only in today's time, but it has been always important for all of us because eventually it really defines the way we live, the way we work, the way we interact, the way actually we spend our lives. Um, the services that we are offered, the services that we aspire and ask for, the experiences as customers or even service providers that we go through really define who we are. And more so in this time, more than any time before. And I think that opens up the topic on um, uh, what we are going through these days. Nobody denies, and we all are all aware that this is a pandemic time. It's a very difficult time. And it has shaped uh, our own lives and the way that we live, we work, we learn, we interact. Uh, today we are doing the podcast. Podcast is a medium through which we are interacting. And uh, even the way that our mobility is defined according to that and travel uh, back and forth. I think uh, because of, and I might also, let me just talk a bit about how this has redefined you know, our own reality, very reality, and then I will start touching on that through the customer experience and the services. But I think it's also important to understand that, you know, business models and even supply chains, and I'm not exaggerating, have been shaped overnight, more so during these difficult times. Uh, food, water, medicine, a lot of commodities have been redefined, be it from the, the way that the product or the service is being delivered, or even it's going through the uh, natural course of supply chain that it used to have. We've seen a lot of businesses thrive during this time, but we've seen a number of businesses perish and wither away. Um, but more importantly, we've seen customers redefining their expectations, right? Today, if you look at customer journeys, what, what used to be an year yesterday, I could have settled down for 
is sort of that I'm asking from, and I'm going to put both in the same level or at the same level, private and public sector, because I do believe, and I will touch on this, that both of them are today are at the same level, if not some of them, especially the government sector, is leaping forward faster. But we used to ask for services in the past, and it was okay to have it in a matter of few days, and we'll get the service that we've asked for. Uh, recently, before COVID-19, this expectation got heightened into the fact, no, others are delivering the service to other customers in a matter of a day or so, or even hours, and we demand to have the same. Time is only one metric of the service, but it could be also the convenience, the way that the service is being delivered, or even the way that the service is being offered altogether. Now, in COVID-19 specifically, services from a service provider point of view, uh, this is unprecedented. We've seen services being thought of, designed, and launched back to customers in a few days, where they used to take weeks, if not months. And we've seen services being delivered to customers in the matter of minutes or even seconds, not hours and not days. And then at the same time, we've seen that these services are not really given as you know, luxury services. They understand as services the true essence of what they are for customers, and that's a paradigm shift. And as such, the way that the service was designed, the way that the service was offered, and the way that the service was consumed was radically different during COVID-19. And I believe from a service industry, this has charted the way ahead for a new norm in the way that we think and provide and deliver services and even consume services as customers. It's a, there, are, there, there are two sides of the equation and we have to look at it from a service provider as well as a service consumer or beneficiary or a customer. Now, also, this has um, opened up the topic in terms of can organizations today operate faster a bit and uh, upskill what they are doing vis-a-vis -vis what they used to do before COVID-19, or do they need to rethink what they are doing altogether? And I'm more of the school of thought of the latter rather than the former. Because rethinking what you are doing today is key. It doesn't mean to radically dismantle the organization and then go into a point where it's going to be too complicated to put it back again. But rethinking the way we do business, rethinking the way that we serve, rethinking the way that we deliver services to customers is uh, what the organizations need to think about. Today, this, is, this has to be driven by the need to move from efficiency, so the times when we used to care about time, cost, effort that we have behind the service, to not only that, but to think about effectiveness. So the customers that are out there that are my customers, in the case of the government, or in the case of the private sector, my and other others' customers, Am I serving them in the, in the right way? 
Am I listening to their needs in the right way? Am I delivering the service in an effective way to the way that they are asking for? And we will dive into some of the topics or points about this. And then it's very important, and we've seen it more so during this time, to develop the required empathy. Uh, and yes, the word is empathy for organizations towards their customers. And at the same time, an emotional compass. We've seen the successful organizations emerge out of these difficult times as winners, by the way. And they've managed to turn this adversity into an advantage by the merit of taking on more empathy towards the customers and sharpening their emotional compass. And that led to them rethinking what they are doing, having an ear to the ground, so to speak, and listening to not only customer transactions, but customer interactions. And that's a fundamental difference. And through that as well, in between, you know, harnessing the power of the data to give you that required awareness and then be able to derive insights out of that and go back to customers, work with them, serve them in an anticipatory, proactive way, which is something I will talk about uh, uh, in a short while. And if you look at it, it's very important to see how this paradigm shift has happened. And probably it's a good chance to talk about it a bit now. The UEE government, for example, has set the record in terms of thinking about anticipatory services. And we've been involved with clients as well on this front actively thinking about it. And I have to say and share my experience as a consultant and as a consulting firm uh, in this regard, it's truly amazing, it's mesmerizing. Because when you apply the lens of the customer in terms of how do I think about the customer before the customer really thinks about me, where is the customer coming from? Where is the customer going to? What does the customer need? That becomes a big, big paradigm shift. And it's really looking through the lens, but from the other side. Uh, and we've found you know, much joy, uh, pleasure, and excitement that is shared with uh, a lot of clients that we are working with on this front. When we started really flipping the concept and playing around with those parameters that you know, sometimes you'd look at them and say, no, that's the way that the service is designed. But you know, when you ask yourself the question is, is really that's the way that the service is designed? If I flip it on its head and think about it in a different way, is it something that's doable? And that in itself opens up a big and huge space of innovation in the government, which we can talk about in a bit. Well, thank you for that um, overview. You just described a very, very complicated um, reality in really comprehensive terms. Um, and there's so much there to discuss. Um, and it's also perfect for our discussion. We've been trying to curate a discussion on how these um, different areas of the economy, and different sectors of, of um, government are adapting, not just to COVID-19, but to seemingly macro changes in the way all of us live and the way our economies work. And I think that summary you just gave 
um, gave some really fascinating insights into how services are changing, uh, into how um, we're thinking about customer journeys, um, and also into to some of the problems we're, we're all facing. Um, I think your kind of idea of a big rethink taking place or a paradigm shift is what many people that we've interviewed have been talking about too. Um, and you've also talked about the speed of services and, and, and the ability of companies to uh, not only adapt, but even rethink entire um, kind of business operations. Um, so there is, there is a lot there. Um, and I think what, what we might begin with um, is, is a quotation on innovation that could almost be a, a quotation um, for, for, in a way, the mission of this podcast. But it begins, look beyond the world of technology, however, and we will find an altogether different kind of innovator, government. Um, now, Hamid, you've talked a little bit about um, how, you know, that the UAE has, in particular, has been driving innovation and thinking about preempting um, innovation forward. But again, you know, some of our, our, our listeners are um, not that familiar. They're from probably from the technology industry or, or consulting industry outside of the Middle East. And so if you could give perhaps a quick summary or introduction um, to the way the UAE thinks uh, about innovation, and particularly uh, digital and technological innovation, that, I think that would be really useful. Yeah, absolutely, John. Um, you know, I truly believe that the government is really uh, unlike before, and this is not relevant only to GCC. This is just government across the globe. You know, in the in the in the previous days, we used to see every time you picked up the newspaper or looked at an email or a website or whatever the news media was, you would see always the private sector and the headlines. You know, mm. doing some innovative stuff, coming up with new services, new products, breakthrough technology, and what have you. Um, governments today, and this is a true statement, are booking their seat on the headlines on a regular basis. More so, we've seen it in GCC. And as you've alluded to the example of UAE, uh, the government has been even, you know, setting the record in ways that I even believe, and we believe that even private sector is hard to match when it comes to keeping the pace with how the government is innovative and how fast they're moving. If you look at the recent government restructuring in UAE, that was massive. Uh, appointing CEOs for the first time ever in a government is nothing short of being innovative, right? This is really injecting the DNA of the private sector within the public sector, and then coming up with a new hybrid that the world has not really witnessed before. And UE has embraced that in terms of moving forward with steady steps, but with more importantly, with a vision towards certain goals and objectives that can only be achieved by the consistency of the government and the path forward, along with nimbleness of what the government is doing, in addition to the mindset of the private sector, in some cases, right? Uh, at the end of the day, the welfare and the well-being of the society remains the highest on the agenda. Long story short, here's a government 
that is embracing innovation on at the highest level. And we're talking about the ministers and the ministries and, and what have you. That, but I think, also, go ahead, John. I was going to say that, I mean, what you just said is, is really fascinating because it's one of the things we've been, we've been trying to articulate, but we found it incredibly hard. And I think you use that word kind of hybrid governance, um, the idea of appointing CEOs, the idea of government still, you know, looking to serve population and, and citizens and, and um, becoming a globalized hub, but also rethinking in a way how government works um, as, as a service in a way. And, and that's also fascinating because it's, it, it, um, I mean, in, in the West, historically, if you look at the history of, of how the internet emerged, it was very much a kind of, you know, it began with being uh, funded by DARPA and certain US government agencies, and then it moved to, you know, Silicon Valley, and, and Silicon Valley really pushed forwards um, technological transformation that filtered into our everyday lives. And now, I think in, in the UK and the United States, we're starting to see some of the hybrid relationships that you described beginning to become slightly more formalized and, and people are talking about how government itself is changing, not just the economy. Um, but your overview of the UAE was, was really fascinating because you're essentially in a way discussing a reverse scenario where um, yeah. here the, the, the government is leading a transition rather than the private sector coming in and, and building, you know, massive platforms that begin to influence government. Government is really taking the initiative and saying, look, if we're going to leapfrog into a new stage of development, if we're going to rethink how the system works, then we can begin using all these tools. So you have, uh, in a way, that the, 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 a gravitational force of innovation rather being, that is being led by government rather than being pushed on government here in the UAE. And that, that's very different. And, and it's, it's, a, it's a complicated and sophisticated thing to try and discuss, but it's a really fascinating phenomenon that does seem very, very particular to, to this economy in this part of the world. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I mean, this is the, the art of innovation set at the highest level. Because when you reshovel, if you, if, we, if you picture that you and I are sitting as board members of a private sector company, and then we are reshoveling the board members, and even restructuring, not only just reshoveling the board members, we are restructuring the board in unprecedented ways. That's really innovative. It requires also as well you know, a strong vision, which is there, but also it requires the culture to embrace it, right? Because that's a very, very important point because innovation usually, I mean, if you want innovation to thrive, you've got to believe that this is not something I need to do for the coming year or so. This is my lifestyle. This is the path ahead. And if I need to innovate, it needs to live in everything that I do as an organization. But more importantly, it needs to live in the mindset of my workforce. And once we achieve that, and we live innovation as a spirit, 
across the organization, not only just as a system or a technology that we have there, and we start practicing it, then only you will be, be able to start, you know, reaping back the benefits of innovation that you've seen it early on. You know, at the end of the day, it's very important. And I, I think that governments in GCC and the examples that we've been talking about now have succeeded because, number one, they were very clear on the why. So they had clear objectives of why we want to innovate. It's not like just for the sake of, okay, we need to be innovative. Why do you want to innovate? What is the destination? So if I'm innovating today in the government or even a private sector, where do I see myself in a year, three, five, ten? And then it's very important to also focus, and they've succeeded in that as well, on the what. So if I'm innovating and I see myself as a world leader in, let's say, services in a couple of years, then probably I need to think about my channels, my customers, my services, even the enablers that I need to have in place. Most importantly is also the regulatory affairs and the legalities behind that. Because you might have your foot on the gas and you might be accelerating towards innovation, but hold on a second, the environment around you is not that ready. And policies, regulations, laws, standards, if they are not nimble and agile enough to listen to what you are trying to do, they're going to be hurdles along the way. And that's where also you can think about them in a proactive way. Digital and technology plays a big role into realizing and disrupting and even making innovation a reality. But also it's important once you have all that in mind and I'm, I'm quoting the experiences that we've talked about now as successful experiences of governments and private sectors, even the Googles and the Amazons and, you know, all the leaders across that have been also, you know, leading ahead with experiences in the private sector. They've all failed fast. They've all failed often, as we know, and they've all failed forward. That's very, very important. And, you know, it's very important when we work with a number of organizations, actually, as clients, to help them with innovation strategy, and some of them, we help them with their innovation uh, implementation to make it happen. You know, there was a big fear about, oh, if I was an employee or a staff or a project team that is responsible for an innovative idea, what if it fails? That's a question. How, is there a stigma associated with that failure on me as an individual, on me as a team, or on me as an organization. And the, the right thing to say is absolutely not. Because if you are within the course of innovation, you should actually fail. Because your failure should be classified as an unfinished success, not looked at as actually a failure. The fact that you are failing more, but progressively, means you are about to break the G-force from your organizational norm and inertia and go into a whole different new level where you will be able to think, realize, implement, and sprint forward faster and in a much more effective and innovative way than others. And that leads me to the final statement where all the good examples that we've talked about, they believe that innovation is a journey. 
It does not start today and finish tomorrow. If it starts today, so be it, but it will not finish tomorrow. It's going to continue as part of our DNA as we move ahead. How do you see the role of, of Booz Allen within, within this, this big process, within this big story that we're talking about? Well, I think first and foremost, uh, we are enjoying the experience uh, as, uh, as a firm and as consultants because um, that's a lot of uh, do fast, but that's a lot of good change in terms of the thinking and in terms of the impact that you see in, in today's reality and even in terms of the promise that tomorrow holds for all of us. Um, I think the space for thought leadership uh, is quite rich. This is first and foremost. And, you know, what we are seeing and where we are finding ourselves is very much being involved in discussions that require uh, thought leadership and it's really charting into the unknown. Uh, future, though it is a known, but it, that has a lot of unknowns. And when you talk about the topics that we've just discussed now, there is no textbook example for that, mm -hmm. especially if you are a pioneer or you are an innovator. That's it. You are on the front row. So it happens to be maybe you are the only one in the front row. Maybe there are a few with you in the front row. You could share your experiences. But there is not a lot to learn from. And in some cases, you got to follow your intuition. And that intuition has to be grounded into thought leadership and clarity of thinking for the way ahead. And I think and this is where... Sorry, John, you were saying Sorry, something? sorry to interrupt you. Uh, okay. Uh, this is, I think, where us and other consultants shine, uh, especially the ones who are into this, the ones who have uh, purposely uh, submerged themselves into the thinking and lived the reality and also embraced the vision of tomorrow. Mm. Uh, I would say that a big passion of mine and as well ours as Buzanan is to continue to read the agenda the way that the governments and private sector and everybody else are evolving, and then also try to read the next chapter with them, right? And also with them, try to foresee the chapter after that. And I think that becomes part of really uh, the, the fuel that you could put in into this journey and the passion that we bring on board when we talk about this topic. So, so that is hard, isn't it? Trying to figure out what the next chapter is, is something that we're all trying to do. Um, and, and prediction, of course, you know, the prediction is, yeah. is a buzzword for everybody now. With that in mind, I wanted to ask Ahmed about emerging, emerging technologies. Um, so there is a lot of discussion about data and, 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 and the role of artificial intelligence in particular. And I just wanted to quickly, you know, get your insights on that in general and, and in terms of the region, how you think that might be driving change forward over the course of the next few years. Yeah, absolutely. You know, AI in itself is quite an elastic word. You know? For some, this is a myth. For some, it's a dream that's coming to reality. Right? I think the difference between both <clears throat> the fundamental difference between both is lies into uh, 
the business case of AI and the use case of AI. And I will explain more. So before you bring in AI or any other technology into your organization, it is, we will start with the why, and that starts with the business. Uh, there is a misconception, by the way, that, you know, for some, that AI could solve everything. AI is not meant to solve everything, and not everything can be solved with AI. But AI can excel uh, in a very exponential way beyond human capabilities in certain areas if it is put to the right purpose and if it is designed within the right context. And that drives, uh, put in the right purpose, that's the, the business case. And that's more of us as an organization thinking, why do I need AI? What is the challenge that I'm trying to solve? What are the business requirements that I am incapable of solving that I need AI for? And usually, typically, what we advise clients is, if we can't answer that question, park AI on the side for some time until you get clarity on that. This is very important. And why I'm saying that, it's not only just kind of a due diligence exercise. There is a huge buy-in that's required from across everybody in the organization, most of which is the business. So it's very important to look at AI as a business capability, not a technical capability. So it is not something that the digital folks or the IT folks in our organization are you know, fiddling around with and they want to come up with something that is nice and, you know, there is a wow factor to that. No, it is us as a business requiring that capability because without that, in today's world, we are either not competitive or actually we might be out of business, right? Depends on your business model and your requirements. And now on the other aspect, which is the use case, Okay, so we believe that AI is of use to us in the organization. How do I start? Where do I start? How do I bring it in? Right? So what we advise clients on is you need to start small and scale as you go ahead. Again, you need to start small and be agile in the way that you move forward. So pick an example, not too big, but something that is nimble and something that you can achieve in a matter of weeks, to show and demonstrate and even build the faith across the organization in the power of AI. And as we say in Buzan, there is a saying that we say, you to the power of AI. This is the case of having the organization to the power of AI. And with that use case, start charting the way ahead for more use cases. And as such, what you will be doing effectively over a short period of time is you will be, number one, demonstrating the capability of AI within the organization, but more importantly, number two, leaving an impact on the table through AI. And once the organization sees and realizes and senses and feels the impact of AI, it's a done deal. People are on board. Uh, all what you need to do is maintain momentum, build more momentum as you go ahead. However, also maintain clarity. As we say, don't uh, bite on more than what you can chew. 
And this is where we can say, go in the organization from an AI point of view, piecemeal by piecemeal. And this is the philosophy behind the use case. That makes sense. I mean, there is, as you said, such a, a big buzzword about AI. And as previous guests have said, well, A, what does that mean? Um, but B, you know, it is an incredibly, it could, can have incredibly powerful applications, but integrating that within an organizational context also has all sorts of challenges and cultural changes that can need to take place across an organization. Um, and, and if there's not a lot of thinking that, that goes behind how that is rolled out, you know, it can be very challenging, but it can also deliver, um, you know, real um, advantages and, and, and new capabilities. Um, uh, and I think that that's also something that we've seen across um, some of the discussions on emerging technologies that, that you know, there's, there's massive potential, but really figuring out how to integrate and, and, and deploy um, some of these technologies is, is often very, very interesting, detailed questions. Um, so I guess, conscious of time, with that in mind, I wanted to ask, Hamid, what do you really see as, as the future challenges and opportunities in your industry going forward on some of these issues? Well, you know, just to close on AI, um, you know, as like, like any other capability that you bring on board, especially with AI, because AI is so fast uh, paced, it can exponentially outgrow your capability to control it, right? So the question becomes then, did I bring in a capability that kind of overtook my organization while I took brought this capability with the intention to help my organization? And I think that kind of goes into your question, John, in terms of how do you harness, but at the same time control the technologies that you're using? So on the AI perspective, for example, it's very important to maintain the required measures, standards, policies, and here is a spin to the topic. Even think about algorithms that might be sitting there watching other algorithms. That might be an interesting thing to, to think about. <laughs> so, an AI watching an AI. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a far-fetched thing. And I think uh, there are a few efforts happening on that front, uh, even on our end. So. It's an interesting topic. It's uh, very interesting. I mean, from a regulatory perspective, absolutely. Um, you know, uh, uh, particularly I've, I've got some friends who, who uh, specialize in kind of um, legal policy on how technology is rolled out in the European Union. Um, and I know, you know, they were previously very interested in privacy and cookies and how those things kind of work. But right. if there were regulatory algorithms that could inspect an AI because, you know, as we know, yeah. problems with AI is often transparency and how does the AI make decisions? That's often quite hard, particularly if you have massive terabytes of data to figure out. Um, but I've mm -hmm. never heard of that, the, the idea of, you know, algorithms, um, mm -hmm. checking on algorithms. It's very science fiction. Um, it's very Philip K. Dick, but it, but it makes total sense. And, and it also... Um, we had a podcast with DFSA, um, the Dubai Financial Services Authority, uh, a couple yes. of weeks ago, and they spent a lot of time talking about reg tech or, or regulatory technology and, mm -hmm. and how, in a way, that was making things that were before a bit dangerous much more possible. Um, so, so yeah, that is, that is a, a fascinating um, 
kind of, of, of way of describing the problem um, that, that I think a lot of people have been writing about that and I've never heard that as a solution. Um, so, so without further ado, Hamid Tamimi, thank you so much for talking with us today about Booz Allen and about some of the, the wider changes happening place, uh, happening, you know, in place here in the UAE, uh, the wider GCC, um, and possibly around the globe as well. Thank you, John. Uh, it was a pleasure. Thank you for having me and uh, looking forward to having future discussions as well. Mm -hmm.